Anybody else feel like telling God you love him right now? Oh, yeah, Just say, I love you. <laughs> All right. Hey, if you're a kid, give me a head off Kids World with Terry and Fernanda. And uh, Terry, you got donuts? Absolutely, man. So if you're an adult and you need donuts, man, go ahead and head out there. Man. Mm. Get my clip. Uh-oh. 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 All right. EJ, you don't know where our clicker is, do you? Okay. That's good, man. We're good. All right. All right. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not using, like, all of you. I didn't bring these in to impress you. This is just a small collection of the Bible to have. But um, as I was studying, uh, for our message in Hebrews... And studying for our, our small group Bible study uh, that, we're having on, that we were having on Tuesday night, um, God just started bringing all these different things together, and, and, and it's culminated into what God wants me to present to you guys today. And so I know this is what we're supposed to hear. If you're not supposed to hear it, I am. And I can't wait to hear what God's going to say. So um, in all of that, you excited, Tom? You ready? <laughs> you know, I love you, bro. <laughs> Man. And uh, I was... Uh, but as I was looking, this right here is, is like probably the first half of my Christianity, maybe almost even the first uh, probably two-thirds of it or so. And, you know, in Christmas of 87, uh, some of you have heard this before, but I'm going to share it with you again because my testimony. But Christmas of 1987, uh, I had a kite shop, man. I was selling thousands of dollars of kites to tourists a day in a place called Old Town in Kissimmee, a mile and a quarter east of this. Disney had all the everything in the world that you could think you could ever want. Thank you, honey. And, um, you know, uh, let's see. Are we on? All right. You need that probably. Okay. And so anyways, uh, man, uh, anything a 25-year-old young man would think he wanted in there, but I was just empty. Had an accounting degree. Um, wasn't using that. Had, had, had everything that I could possibly want and all that, but I was just kind of, like I said, empty, and I thought I needed a career change. And so I got out of my end of the kite deal you know, the kite business, and, um, and was going to go back and move into my dad's house. How humbling is that for someone who's been out on their own to go move back into the poor side of Orlando, Pine Hills, affectionately called Crime Hills, and moving, <laughs> and moving back in there and, and then just starting all over again after I had just gotten this accounting degree from Flagler. And, but it was, I was confident that what I needed was a career change. You know, I was doing art shows and stuff, and I thought I, that's where my happiness was in doing art shows. I was selling stuff. People were like, oh, what great talent. And that's where I found my joy was when people were like, oh, you're so good, you know, and all of that. And, and, and that's what I thrived on. That's what I lived off of at that time. It was about promoting me. And, and I thought that's what success really was about. So I was like, well, I can't make any money as an artist, right, Ashley, until you're dead or or, uh, yeah, Mike, right? You know, we have a few artists in here. And, and yeah, you know, your stuff's going to be worth all kinds of money when you're dead, all right? And thank you for giving me those pieces, all right? But, uh, uh, but anyways, um, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, all right, well, the only way I'm going to make money as an artist is if I go back to school and become a, a, an architect. That's kind of like art. It's kind of rigid art. But you know what, dude, I can still at least draw and create and do this. So I, I, w I went back to school, and I was thinking, man, I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to actually not only just go back to school be an architect, but I'm going to get a job this time and get some OJT. With accounting, dude, I had not worked any bit of accounting, any kind of anything like that, because, dude, my mind didn't want to work anything like that. I just kind of finished the degree because it was the most masochistic thing I could do at the point in time. You, can you guys see me as an accountant? Linda, could you see me as an accountant? Somebody would have died by now, right? And that would be like me being a librarian, right? And so... Anyway, so I was like, all right, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a job in, 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 in woodworking. And I'm going to start at the basics, just sweeping behind a planer. And I'm just going to work my way up, and I'm going to learn how to build things. Because I'd already been doing rough carpentry, like framing. And I worked at Epcot, Disney, worked Union, did carpentry there. But I said, I'm going to learn the fine art of woodworking. And in Orlando at the time, you could do it, because that's who was building all this cool stuff for Disney and Universal and Rosie O'Grades, all those things. And so I got a job in there. And at the same time, though, um, as I'm working, God was drawing me to himself. And my dad wasn't going to church because he wasn't really living the life that would not be convicting if you went to church. You know, it's kind of like if you're living a life that's contrary to that, you don't really want to go. It's like because all you're going to hear is like, 
you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing it. And, and so my dad wasn't into it. Me, I was not living that life, but something was working in me, and I know it was the Holy Spirit of God now. And the Holy Spirit of God was just drawing me to him and, and making me, instead of feeling like a, a bank robber running from a cop, instead really looking for love. He was drawing me through his love that, man, look, I've got a better plan for you. And so I told my dad, I said, Dad, let's go, let's go back to church. He's like, that Catholic church you grew up in? I'm like, yeah, dude, I don't know any others. We're not allowed to go to Baptist churches, right? We're Catholic. And, and that's like Nazi and Jew. And really, you know, the Baptist church I actually ended up at was the church that I used to get on their, bu their bus when they pick kids up for church. Anybody remember buses? I'd get on their bus and, um, and they would lure us with a popsicle. Well, I was smarter than that. So I'd get their popsicle. I would eat it. I even found a way to get two or three popsicles by the time we got to church. And as soon as we got to church, I ran back home. I was gone. I ended up being the youth pastor at that church later, which is <laughs> ironic. But in that, my dad said, yeah, the Catholic church, I said, yeah, dad, just come with me, man. And one of the first times we went back to the church, I saw on the back of the bulletin a thing for a Catholic study Bible. I had never had a Bible. I went through 12 years of Catholic education, thought I was doomed for Notre Dame, but they didn't offer me a scholarship. And, and, and I get there, and I look at the back of this bulletin, and I see a Catholic study Bible. And, and this was right before Christmas 87. I said, Dad, if I don't get anything else for Christmas, I want that Bible. And he's like, what, are you going to be a priest? I said, no, Dad, I like girls. And it was like, he's like, I was serious. This could be because my whole life, my mom was like, oh, Eddie, won't you be a priest? Oh, Eddie, won't you be a priest? And I found out later that the 11 years between me and my older sister, God, God had saved my mom. And she lived off of that story of Hannah and Samuel and promised that if God ever gave her another son, she'd make him a priest. And that's me. And at my ordination, my Protestant ordination, my two sisters said, you have blown it. This is mom's plan for you. And I was like, oh, yes, that's what he had saved me for. But in that, before I knew any of that, I said, God, the Holy Spirit of God was putting in my heart to have this Bible. I never read it, didn't know if I'd understand it, didn't know anything. And Christmas 87, I opened it up, and there, lo and behold, my dad got me this Bible. And dude, this Bible, it's got a picture of the Pope right up front, man. We're right there. Dude, I'm serious. I got all the extra books in the middle. Um, and I'm not being facetious. I just got it. I had no idea what this Bible was about. But what I want you to see, man, is I want you to see that I colored this Bible. I devoured this Bible. Man, I opened it up, and it was like the first time I opened it up, it was like, where has this been my whole life? And I just, I highlighted everything. People were like, oh, you're not supposed to write. I'm like, dude, I, yeah, that's how I found things. It's like, oh, yeah, that verse, that's in pink with red, and I could find it. And, and I the best way, I was showing this to Matthew, our drummer, earlier before service, and he said, you devoured that Bible. And that, what a beautiful choice of words, Matthew. That's exactly what I did. I devoured that Bible. And then God led me um, to, uh, at the wood shop to a Hungarian Jew who was born again who, named Joe Diosecki, who had no idea why he is ever even in America. And that guy, Joe, he um, saw me at the wood shop devouring my Bible and said, Hey, Fred. He had this big old beard like, Hey, Fred. He's like, it was kind of like Zolte, man. Yeah, Zolte. He's like, Hey, Fred, you want to you wanna study Bible together? I'm like, Yeah, dude. And, and, and we went out to the railroad tracks. We were out, um, it's, it's now a, a gated neighborhood in Oviedo, near Florida, but it was woods. We went out in by the railroad tracks, and all of a sudden, before we knew it, when we were studying the Bible, now all of a sudden we had the whole wood shop out there at lunch. And we didn't even know how to teach. We didn't know anything. And I'll give you proof of that because uh, there was a pastor that took me under his wing and was going to buy me a boat so I could go off because I told him I was going to sell everything and go sell, sell everything and go buy a sailboat and go preach to the people in the islands that I know didn't have this because I, I knew they didn't have it because I just spent lots of time running, smoking weed. I used to, I used to smuggle weed back and it was, I was the kind of drug dealer that smuggled weed only for myself. I wasn't even trying to make money off this stuff. I just wanted to have grocery bags for me. So I'd have to get in trouble here. And that's the way I live. And I, once I found this, once I found salvation, man, it was like, I want other people to have this. And I knew I was supposed to use my big mouth to do something besides get in trouble. And, and he called me to preach before I even knew anything about it. All I knew was Jesus Christ and his resurrection power came into my life and changed me and gave me hope and gave me happiness. As I followed him, he fulfilled me. 
It was just the first time I'd ever experienced that in my entire life. It's what I was looking for. And, and had a pastor I met. I, I went with Joe to the Baptist church. And, and the Baptist church, man, when I got there, uh, uh, I went on a Sunday night because I had to go to Mass Sunday morning. And I'm like, Joe, am I allowed to be here? And he's like, oh, yeah, anybody can come. I'm like, okay, can I everybody, you know. And, and, and we were there. And, 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 man, I got so many stories about that night. But I'll tell you one of them. Linda, raise your hand. That's my wife right, right back here. When I got there, and I'm just going to be honest, blunt with you guys. Not, you know, usually I'm not. I'm pretty laid back. And <laughs> Dude, I had a Hawaiian shirt on. I had some baggy, baggy long pants. I had some boat shoes back then. I didn't have underwear on. I'm just saying, dude, I had a spiked mullet. You guys remember mullets? Well, dude, mullets had gone the next step. They were spiked mullets now. And I walk into church with I sleeves rolled up. I walk into the first row with Joe, you know. And I remember this young singing group, and they're all in these pretty little dresses. And the boys had the ties and the whole thing. And I was just like, God, what am I doing here? I don't fit. And I'm, I'm, I'm on the second row back because I wasn't allowed to sit on the front row. And, 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 and I remember the singing group coming down. And I was like, remember saying to God, God, if you get me a date with one of these, if you give me a date with one of these, that would be a miracle. And less than a year later, I married her. And she was the one right in front. And that wasn't even what I, that wasn't even my purpose for going there. I was just something that Holy Spirit prophetically just said through me at that point. Uh, I, I remember the pastor preaching out of Peter and saying, talking about godly women. And I'm like going, I'm reading it in the Bible, but I'm like, there are, I have been to every bar in Orlando and there are no women like that anymore. I'm being honest with you guys. This is where my brain was coming from. This is where my heart was. For the first time in my life, I'm not trying to bargain with somebody. I'm not trying to dicker. I'm not... I'm just laying my heart open to a God that said I could do it to him. Amen. And I didn't know any person in my life that I could ever do that with without him ditching me. Without him saying, you're kind of crazy. You're kind of, I'll hang out with you till the party's over. You know, it's like, whatever. I did, I, that was the first time I've been able to just really open up and not be afraid of being made fun of. But I realized he knew everything that was in my heart already. And he wanted me to be honest with it so him and I could have honest conversation. And we could, he could make me into something that I wasn't, that I was created to be. And man, I, I remember, you know, all of that going on the first time I ever went to a, a church other than mass. And, 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 and saying, you know, God, there's no godly women around. And God just hit me in the head and said, you're looking in the wrong place. And I get out of church that day. And I remember the pastor, he, um, uh, it, I, he was there waiting for me. That's some, one of the reasons why I'm always back here. Ready. I, I want to talk to you. I want to love you. I want to know who you are because that's what he did to me. He cared for me. And I really do love you and care for you. And I want to help you see life from God's perspective because that's what he did for me. And I'll never, never forget. And I walked up to him, Brother Gene. And I was like, hey, dude, you remind me of Charles Stanley. I didn't know Charles Stanley was famous. He was just the only guy who could get on TV at the time. And, and, and he's like, yeah, well, you know, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm only going to be here six months. Is it okay if I come? Because in six months, I'm going to sell everything I have, and I'm going to move the islands, and I'm going to go preach in the islands to people. What, and, and I was going to go to West End. Dude, I could just hang out at Jack Tar Village and preach to tourists and people living in the anchorages. Anybody ever live in the anchorages in Bahamas? Dude, you go in the anchorages in Bahamas, you can anchor, and you can hang out with anybody and everybody as long as you want until you start asking them about their background. <laughs> you start asking them about their life because everybody there's hiding from something, including me when I was there. And so I was like, dude, they don't know this. They don't know the good news. I'm gonna give them the good news. And so I told this pastor, I said, yeah, I'm gonna do that. And he said, oh, where'd you get your seminary training? I was like, I don't need seminary training. One of the John books and little ones, I said, says that man will mislead you, but the Holy Spirit will guide you. I said, and dude, that's what I'm doing now. I'm just letting God guide me because I don't want man to mislead me anymore. And that's where I was at, honestly. And he didn't slap me in the head and say, no, you need to go. You know. He said, well, I'll tell you what, we got this new seminary class starting tomorrow called Discipleship. And I'm like, dude, I don't want to waste any time. I don't want to waste any money. In six months, I'm going to use everything I have to buy a boat. And I'm going. I'm going to preach. And he didn't say, oh, you idiot, you can't preach without you know, a degree, all this. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, why don't you come, and I'll pay for it. And then he says, if you come and decide that you don't need this class, or you don't need an education in the Bible, he said, I'll help you buy your boat. And I'm, that's all I heard. <laughs> this sucker. Because, I, dude, I sold thousands of dollars worth of kites to tourists today. Kites! 
dude, surely I can get this guy to come through on this sucker deal by buying me a boat. And that's all I heard. And he said, but if you decide you need this, he said, man, he said, I'll help you get your degree. And I was like, I didn't even hardly hear that one. But the next day, dressed the same way, same haircut, same hair. I walk in and, and, I, and I had this little Bible right here. And I walked into seminary class. And as soon as I walked into seminary class, all these guys had black ties, you know, black jackets, white shirts and clean cut, little rim, horn rim glass. I mean, it was like, it was so stereotypical. It was scary. And, and I walk in and the first thing they said to me was this. We think the AA class is over here. <laughs> that was literally the first thing this whole group of seminary students said to me. And, and I walked in and I was just like, no, dude. I, I said, I, I, I'm, I'm supposed to meet Brother Gene. And they said, this was the room. They said, Brother Gene? For, for seminary? I said, is it discipleship class? I said, yeah. And lo and behold, the whole front row was open and everybody was all towards the back. Just like this right here. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and uh, there's a comfort zone at. I didn't know any better. I, I, I had learned that the less things I have between me and what I'm supposed to pay attention to, the better. And, and dude, this was life and death now. This was no grade. This is no class. This is no degree. This is life and death right now. This is the real deal. And I sat right on the front row. And I know I heard them all talking behind me. And saying, you know, brother, yeah, he's going to kick him out. Watch, you know, they were all, it's like taking bets, see how long I was going to last in there. Brother Gene walks in and goes, hey, Eddie, how's it going? And they about dropped dead. And you know how I knew I needed the degree? As much as I had been devouring this Bible, I'll never forget Brother Gene saying, hey, open up to Philippians chapter 4. verse." And, and, and I'm like, oh, dude, I know where the index is. But I caught myself looking for Philippians under F. <laughs> and when I started, I still remember that looking for Philippians under F and, 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 and I, and the guy right behind me, a guy named Dave Steele, who's actually still my Facebook friend. I remember him reaching forward and kind of nonchalantly as best he could. He reached forward and, and got me Philippians. I remember sitting there feeling kind of really embarrassed, but I didn't care for once in my life. I didn't care about being embarrassed. I didn't care about anything else except getting closer to the one that I love now and the one that loved me. And so, dude, I tore this Bible up and ended up getting my master of divinity there and, and, and got all kinds of ministerial experience. Well, granted, now all of a sudden, you know, in a Protestant seminary, the Catholic Bible wasn't all that good anymore. And they, you know, and, and, and uh, they just didn't respect the guy necessarily as much carrying a little white girly Bible. <laughs> Dude, I didn't know when I got that thing. Anyways, so as a gift, <laughs> kind of like they did with my clothes. And you see how well that worked out, right? <laughs> with my clothes, with my haircut, with everything else. I'll never forget the first day I ever came home with short hair and my wife, my bride's like, what did you do? You know, I was like, well, he said they would listen to me better if I had short hair. And then I found out it was more important to please her than them. But, <laughs> but somebody bought me this Bible. And this Bible, man, dude, I tore this Bible up. In fact, I tore this up through my first two pastorates that I had. Because this had the solution. This had the rules. This had the guide. This had the answers. This is what guided me through every part of every single day. And now he had made me a pastor and now I was responsible. Uh, he gave me the privilege of helping other people experience what I had experienced. And this was life and death because when you come to me with something, man, when you come to me, it's serious business, isn't it? It's the most important thing in your mind and I can't just give you some seminary answer. I just can't give you, I can't Google it up and say, well, here's what Siri said, or, or here's what you know, Wikipedia says, or here's what, I can't. I gotta give you what God's been giving me. And so, dude, you know what happened with this Bible? Every like birthday and Christmas, my wife would get this Bible rebound for me. <laughs> I was getting this Bible torn up where stuff wouldn't even stay in. And she rebounded it for me and rebound it and rebound it. And each time, man, we put it back together because there was stuff literally. I couldn't find things because of an address. I found it because I knew it was the only pink highlight on a page somewhere that that's the verse. Anybody got a Bible like that, man, where you can only find it because you can just almost blindly look and say, there's that verse that meant that to me that day. And this Bible's filled with hundreds of those until one day the Bible binder said, we can't bind it anymore. 
Philippians won't stay in. <laughs> Literally, you look at it right here, and it's all swollen up. It's the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians, because that was my favorite book in the Bible, because what Philippians is about, it's the book of joy. It's the book of having joy, not because of your external circumstances, because of who you who have inside and who's showing you why he's got you here and looking at every bit of your life as a privilege to be alive, to have another breath, to represent him, knowing full well I have a home in heaven one day forever. And, and the Apostle Paul wrote it from prison. And man, I love the book of Philippians, but it wouldn't stay anymore. And so somebody found out that I was getting ready to have to get a new Bible. So lo and behold, they bought me another one. And this is probably halfway through my ministerial career, probably about the mid 90s, I want to say or so. But let me ask you a question. What do you not see in this Bible? What do you not see in the Bible? Yeah, I read this Bible and, and I read it. I never have lost my love for God's word, but I got so busy doing ministry that now, you know what, you turn to some place that's highlighted right here, and you know what this is? This is so I could open it up on the mission field and I could preach a message without notes right here. You know, you go over here, here it is. Oh, here's outline. Prepared, protected, you know, productive, persistent. There's, a, there's another outline for a message. Here's another outline for a Bible study. And so what I found myself doing as I got into the ministry halfway through now, now I'm in this 9,000 member church and then God moved me over to Fort Pierce to another church and the whole purpose was to grow that church. And then it got moved into another church to be the children's pastor and the missions pastor. But everything was about grow, 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 but not growing spiritually and then watching things grow physically as a church. It all was about growing a ministry so that you had all the tools you needed to be able to make disciples. And what happened to me is I didn't have time anymore. I really didn't have time. I had time because we all have that same amount. But you know what happened? You know, in my life, I could tell you my schedule when I was in this phase of life right here. And I was busier then than I was here. Just this is busy, actually. But this was my priority. This is what I made time for because I couldn't live without it. But now, dude, I got to be at staff meeting here. I got to go here. I got to meet with this. I got to be in this meeting. I got to I got to work on this message to preach here. I've got to do this chapel here. I've got to fulfill that commitment here. I've got to preach here. I've got to go on Haiti. I've got to have set or Jamaica. I got to have seven messages. I was going to Jamaica 15, 16 times a year. There's nothing wrong with that. But, dude, I, what I was doing is I'm reading God's word now, not to fill my heart, to fill my soul, not to feed personally, but to be able to minister to others. But what I was doing was I was feeding with an empty tank. And so here's what happened. On, uh, I, I had a choice at a, at a local church here. When the pastor gone, the staff was all gone. I was the last longest tenured pastor. And this was four years ago. And I had a choice to either candidate to be the pastor of that church, which I really didn't feel called to do, or take them through the transition that, that they needed to be taken through until they got a pastor. And all I kept telling the elders and different people who wanted my resume, I said, I don't know what I'm supposed to, I just know I'm supposed to be here now. And they said, well, if you're here preaching now, you can't candidate for the job. And I said, well, I'm supposed to love and minister and disciple the people that I'm supposed to have right here now. And if that eliminates me from being the pastor later, so be it. That's not what I'm supposed to be. I said, I'm supposed to be doing this now, and I'm just trusting God to take care of everything else. Well, we brought another pastor, and lo and behold, and it was February 2nd, 2014, that I'd gotten a text the night before to meet the pastor and one of the elders who was a good friend of mine. And I'll never forget sitting down in this little chair, and they're on these stools, and they said, we appreciate everything God's done, and you know, you've done here, and everything, taking us through all this, everything's great, but you no longer have any more responsibilities. I said, what? And they were like, well, we know the direction God wants us to go. And so in order to do that, we have to reappropriate the finances associated with you in this ministry. And I'm like, so I don't have a job here? <laughs> I had never been in that position before. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness, what, God, what's going on? And, 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 and sure enough, they said, yeah, for three months, you've got severance. You can do whatever you want. That'll give you time to go find another position, to go wherever. I call friends in there, Titusville, Merritt Island, all Orlando. They're like, oh, yeah, we're glad you're going to be our pastor. I'm on the search team. and It's all good. Guess what? Some of those churches still don't have pastors now because what God wanted to do was plant driftwood. 
And when he planted driftwood, I didn't want to plant driftwood. I'm too old for this. I'm too old. I'll go send me somewhere and I'll get young guys and we'll plant church. I'm not I'm too old. We're not planting. God, I'm not doing it. And every day God sent me somebody to tell me we're supposed to plant a church on the beach. And if you would have told me back then, what did we even say? How many of y'all, Lori, you were there. I look back at our old role and I see some of the, we don't even have a role no more, bro. Anyway, Tom, you're on there. <laughs> you're on that little list, man. And, 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 and anyways, I look back. And we thought we were going to be ministering to surfers and that with just people on the beach. If you would have told me we were going to have a snowbird church, <laughs> a snowflake church, a handful of locals and, and, and people that we'll never see again, I would have told God, what a sorry business plan. And he would have looked down at me and he would have said, what an awesome kingdom plan. But he had, to re- he had to reach my heart. He had to change my heart because my mode was now, this is the way it's done. This is how we grow churches. This is how we build. These are the programs. This is everything. And so you know what he did? The first day I go out of the, I go out of the driveway there. And I'm like, God, what am I going to do? And he said, go paddleboard. I start paddleboarding. I'm like, God, what am I going to do? He said, I want you to spend massive quantities of time in my word. I'll never forget the first day I came home because I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to even tell my family. That day at dinner, I've never been without a job. I've never been where I didn't have another option in the ministry ready. But I knew God was in charge of this. And I told him, I said, hey, guess what, guys? I've got like a three-month sabbatical. They're like, what does that mean? I said, well, I got salary. We got insurance. We had everything for three months. I said, that's good news. And they're like, awesome. Why? I'm like, well, the bad news is I've got to have a job in three months. But we should have no problem with that. And so first day I come home after reading the word of God, God said, I want you to read the word. I strung up a hammock over, over at the Inlet State Park, right up by the inlet. And I laid there and I read God's word. And honestly, that's where I met Natalie. Her and little Abel, who was just right here. And Natalie's getting ready to move off to, move off to Hawaii. But man, uh, she was pushing little two-year-old Abel around at the time, like Ashley does with Keone now. And, and, and every day she would kind of stop by and I'd get to share a little bit of the word. But my, that wasn't my purpose out there. My purpose was just reading for four, five, six hours a day, not stopping, not reading with a microscope like I did to get messages, but reading with a telescope to just let God speak to me and not worrying about understanding everything, but letting him speak. And so in that, slowly but surely, God began to create a love. And this time, instead of having a Bible, I, I, I got to do it on the phone. <laughs> and and not, not that I'd be interrupted, but this is, I've got five, six different translations on here. So as I'm reading, if I want to see something in another translation, I just push a button. And this was good because I, I, I'm not a great reader. And these books scare me because I look at one page and I'm like, because oh, I know there's all these pages behind it. But here I've got one screen. I can get through that screen. Push the button. I get to the next screen, to the next. Before I knew it, I'm reading books of the Bible. And I'm like, what do you want me to know from this God? And he's like, oh, that everybody who followed me looks weird to the world. And, 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 and it didn't look like it worked by the world's purposes, but you were success because you did what I wanted you to do. Or, hey, God, what do you want me to see in this? He said, just I want you to love me. I want you, your obedience. What do you, what do you want me to see through this? That I, you're my servant. I'm not your servant. <laughs> Just different things that he kept showing me over and over. But what he did was he recreated a love for God's word in my heart where it's no longer just a requirement. It wasn't something that we just did because we're supposed to do as a Christian and check a box. It was like now eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I couldn't miss it. And I was begging for that opportunity for God to open his word up to me again in a way that Man, where I couldn't wait to wake up to see what he had to say to me. And you know what I found myself doing again now? I found myself opening his word and reading his word. And I found myself praying as I'm reading his word, not praying for my little prayer list from the church. Oh, God bless this person in surgery and that one, which we just did. And there's nothing wrong with that. But now my prayers were, God, man, open this up show me what you want me to see which is what you want me to do and it wasn't for me it was for others man i can remember praying for natalie i can remember she's going to be coming by god and 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 and, man give me something that i will be so excited i can't keep my mouth shut and even if she tries to avoid me i'm just going to say hey guess what god showed me (laughs) dude i fell in love with his word again 
And as I did that, man, I started now wanting to be in a body of believers. I couldn't exist not being in a body of believers. I wanted to be with other people who felt the same way. And I couldn't help not telling people. I couldn't help not. I, I had to tell them about Jesus. People saw a change in my countenance. They saw a change. They're like, what's up with you? And I said, Jesus. Yeah, you're a pastor. Don't all pastors do No. We're too busy trying to keep the love boat, your cruise ship, in great shape so you don't leave and go somewhere else and mess up our budget. And that's when God told me, man, it's time, to, it's time to blow off that cruise ship. And what I want you to build is something different. I remember Rick Philbrick saying, we're going back to throwing nets. That's what he said. We're going back to throwing nets, man. We're not building a cruise ship. You, like, you don't like it being hot. Dude, I can send you to a church where the air conditioning is freezing. And I can, if it's too cold, I can send you to one where they don't have any. <laughs> but this is what we're supposed to do. We're not a cruise ship, man. We're a rescue ship. There's people who are in the most unchurched area of the United States, and there's people that don't know Jesus, and they're hopeless as I was, living in the middle of paradise with a kite shop and selling thousands of dollars worth of kites to tourists a day but had nothing inside. People need Christ, but you got to have them first. So here's my question, and this will be the shortest message I ever preached here because I know you all see it's 10 till right now. <laughs> this was just my introduction. I'm just like... <laughs> Maybe I'm supposed to preach the message next week, but, but I have asked God to just, I have filled up and asked God to pour out. And I know there's somebody that needs to hear this. If it's nobody else, it's me. But my question is, are you still madly in love with Jesus? And you know, when you got saved, when you gave your life to him, dude, it was just like, where have you been my whole life? Where have you been? And it's like, oh my goodness, tell me more, Jesus. Show me. And I even remember beginning my relationship with him where it was like, God, this ain't going to work. This is not what I was taught in my accounting degree and in my business management degree. This is not going to work. So I'm going to go for it. And I found out God wanted to do things different so that when it worked, the world didn't get the credit, but he did. He likes doing things different. And that's really what the, world, what the word is about and it teaches you. So are you still madly in love with Jesus? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been madly in love with Jesus? Can you remember a day where you were more madly in love with Jesus than you are right now? And again, it's not a guilt trip, but it's, it's motivation. I want, man, I want to be more in love with him tomorrow than I, after I get out of here, than I am right now. Because he's what it's all about. That's it. Nothing else. Like Paul said, man, God had to chain me to the prison because that's if he didn't chain me to the prison, I'd have been preaching to everybody. So Paul understood he was chained to a prison for that purpose. He wasn't needing to be delivered from the prison. God had him exactly where he wanted him. And that's what we see life that way when we're madly in love with him, that nothing in our life's an accident. So the first thing that screws us up in that, there's going to be two things. The first thing that screws up is rules without re re uh, relationship equals rebellion. Everybody say that with me. Rules without a relationship equals Yeah. So if you've got a box of rules for God but no relationship with them, you're going to be in rebellion. You're going to be in rebellion. And this is what he speaks to in Revelation chapter 2, which we did in Bible study Tuesday night. But God so put on my heart for today. And I want you to take a look at these first four verses real quick. He says, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, right? And so, again, you read Revelation chapter 1, and what he's getting ready to do is he's getting ready to write uh, the, the whole God. Jesus Christ is writing a letter revealing himself. It's his autobiography, I guess is what you would say. He's writing a letter describing himself to the seven churches and telling what he knows about them. So the angel of the church at Ephesus is actually the messenger. That's what that word means. It could be the pastor, the elder, the leader, the bishop, overseer. That's, that's who it is. So it's not mystical. It's the pastor of the church of Ephesus. He says, write this down. Tell him John. Now, John is a disciple. John, up to this point, he's, he, he was the one Jesus loved. He hadn't written anything, and Jesus died in the 30s. A lot of most of the scripture was written in the 50s and 60s, and God kept John until the 90s as an old man and now had a plan for him to write and re show everybody who Jesus was. He wrote the Gospel of John. You want to know who Jesus is? Read the Gospel of John. You want to know what, he, what it's supposed to look like? Read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, those little postcards. You want, and he was having a one-man worship service on the island of Patmos. 
Okay, so here we are. Here's Israel. Here's the Mediterranean Sea. Up, up in here, there's these seven churches, these seven towns. Ephesus is the first one, four miles inland, and it's huge. Everything went through Ephesus. It, it, it had all kinds of pagan temples. It was like Vegas on steroids, bro, only it was on the coast. And it had everything. And, and, and so, but it had a church. The Paul started, Timothy was in, and John actually ministered in that church also. And so John ended up, he was preaching the gospel, and they tried to boil him. They tried to boil him in cooking oil. Can you imagine that? They tried to boil him in cooking oil, but it wasn't his time to go. He had to write this. So he survived. I don't know how. I can't wait to ask him, or I can't wait to see it on Godflix, whatever, when we see it. But he, he then got exiled to like a, an Alcatraz off of Ephesus, out in the middle of the ocean there. While he's exiled and not praying that God would put him somewhere else because he knew it was exactly where God wanted him, doing what he wanted, he then got this revelation from Jesus Christ about Jesus Christ. And so he says, now, John, to the angel, to the pastor of the church at Ephesus, you know, the one you were just pastoring at that got you arrested? He said, write these things. Says, he who holds the seven stars... Again, we learn from the end of Revelation 1, the seven stars are the, are the pastors of each of the seven churches. And his right hand, which is where the power comes from, if, if a pastor is going to have power, if a church is going to have power, if a church member is going to have power, where is it going to come from? God. If you don't have, you've lost your first love. If all you're doing is having rules about your religion but no real relationship, there's going to be no power. You're going to be in rebellion. And so he goes on, he says... Um, I'm the one who gives you power, and I'm walking in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I'm walking in the middle of these churches. So I want you just to kind of look, man. You, got, you, you believe in ghosts, UFOs, whatever. I'm, I'm just saying, do you know what? Jesus Christ is walking through this church right now. He's walking through each church, each aisle. He's walk he knows what is going on because who does this driftwood belong to? It's not Pastor Eddie's church. Some of you guys sometimes are like, well, we came to your church. No, dude, if you, we didn't scare you off, welcome to the family. <laughs> it's your church too, but it's his church. This is his church. And it, it ceases to become his church. It's an organization, not an organism. It's not what he created it to be. So he's walking through and he says, now write this to this church. He said, oh, I know your works. Hey, did you know that, Roger? He knows your works. Leslie, you guys are at Missionary Flights International standing on your feet. I saw you at 4.30 and at 4 o'clock, and you've been on it since 7 o'clock. He knows those works. He saw those works. Every work that you've done for him, he says, I know your works, your labor. What's the difference between work and labor? How about sweat? <laughs> All right? And, uh, yeah, labor is just hard work. How many of y'all ladies have ever had a baby? Okay, do they call it, hey, Casey, do they just call it, hey, let's go to work? <laughs> we pop out the baby. No, what do they call it when you have a baby, Penny? What do they call it? Would you vow that it is more than just work? Yeah, dude, it's labor. I watch my three kids being born, and I am not worthy. We would have, have old, an old, Ashley, you'd be the only kid. I would not go through that again. Your, mom, your mama loves you. <laughs> but, man, he says, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. Enduring joyfully under a heavy load, continuing when things aren't going your way or the way you think they should be going. And, but you're following me because you... Why are you following him? Because you... Love yes, don't you do crazy things for people you love? If you love yourself, you're only going to do what satisfies you. You're going to do, if you love your job, you'll do whatever it takes to keep that job, won't you? If you love your house, you're going to do whatever it takes. You love, whatever you love, you're going to do anything that it takes to continue that. He says, man, I know all of that, and you're patient because you, you know, your, your patience. You cannot bear those that are evil. So these guys, they were working. They had all kinds of ministries. Their church was packed. They were in a giant city. And he says, you cannot bear those who are evil. So evil is anything against what God says is good. So you guys are in the word and you're knowing what is good and what is evil. And he says, you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not. And you found them to be liars. So you have found false prophets. People who are preaching stuff, saying it's from the word of God. And you're testing it and not just gullibly eating it, swallowing it and applying it to your life. And then, and then realizing later that it was something poisonous to your spirituality and it totally messed you up. You're not doing that. You're checking it all with the word of God. You're staying in line with the word of God. That's diligent. I don't want you to raise your hand, but how many of y'all are that diligent? 
Or how many of us just believe whatever it is because it sounds spiritual? Well, he knows what he's talking about. You know, he's got a TV show. He knows what he's talking about. He, he, he's up front, you know, whatever. He said, man, you guys know your doctrine. You know what's going on, and you're actually confronting people who are wrong. He goes on, and you've persevered. You have patience. You have labored for my name's sake, and you have not become weary. Dude, what credentials? This church, if you would have come to this church, you would have said, this is a happening place. This is awesome. This is phenomenal what's going on here. Look at all of this stuff that we have deemed to be success. That's what we would do. Whether it's a little old driftwood or it's a giant megachurch, it doesn't matter. This one happened to be big. But it doesn't matter. He said, man, you come here and there's something happening here. But what's happening here? That's what's important. So he says... Nevertheless, anybody y'all have another translation? What did, hey Seth, what was that other translation? What does it say instead of nevertheless? But. <laughs> it says but. <laughs> so you've done all this stuff, man. But. Hey, Gary, you have an awesome shirt. Dude, those shoes are sweet, man. And you are rocking those glasses. Gary, I like what you're doing with your hair. And, and, and that stash and that food. Man, Gary, that's awesome. You, you are just the epitome of, of your, the apple of your mama's eye. And, and dude, I want to be like you when I grow up, man. But, <laughs> that's what he just did to Ephesus, right? But, and that button isn't going to negate everything else that he just said. But, Gary, you're going to die on the way home today. Does it matter how good he looks right now? Does it matter how he's rocking the beers? Does it matter? I, 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 you already know I don't have a prophetic gift, all right? So we're good on that, bro. <laughs> you can even ride with me, and then we can do it together. I'll just it's insurance, man. But, because I don't think he's done using me yet. But, or you. But you see what I'm saying? That's the but. He said, man, all this has got all this going for you. But look what he says. I have this against you, that you left your first love. Dude, that's the difference between this and this. This was a job. This was a ritual. This was getting it done. This was, and, and maybe you've never been in the ministry where you had to get it done, but maybe you do it just to get rid of guilt because you know you're supposed to do this, that, and the other. But you're not doing it out of love. Doesn't matter what your job is, but that's what happened here. He said, man, you've left your first love. And what happened was this. It's that rules without a relationship equals rebellion. You can do, dot all your spiritual I's and cross all your spiritual T's, man. But if you're not doing it out of love for God, even maybe you're doing it out of love for yourself because it's just better life to do things God's way. And you're getting better results out of it. But the fact is, it's still rebellion if it's not love for him. I told you before, what's going to happen is at the end of our life, as a believer, we're already going to heaven. You're as close to hell as you're ever going to be. But the heavenly dump truck's going to dump all your works out, my works out. And the ones we did out of love for him are going to be gold, silver, and precious jewels. The ones that we did for any other love, any other motivation, are going to be wood, hay, and stubble. And when he fires up that big blowtorch, man, all the wood, hay, and stubble is going to be burned away. But the gold, silver, and precious jewels is even going to be more pure and beautiful. Then we take those to the heavenly blacksmith. He pounds them into something that we, is the most beautiful thing in the world that we give to Christ as a representative, as, represent, as representing our life. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I am going to so wish that I had more to give him. I'm not going to feel guilty, but I'm going to see, wow, I squandered a lot of this life, and that might be how he wipes away my tears. I don't know. But the fact is, is that the only things that are ever even going to last are the things you've done with the motivation of love. And when you're in love with him, don't the things that you do just keep rolling off? Do you not run out of opportunities to love him? Do you not run out of situations where, do you not run out of things to throw in the praise jar? Do you not run out of stuff? But man, when you're living here and you're just trying to go through the motions, go through the rituals, because the, 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 the other end is, is even worse. Dude, it's hard to find stuff. So he says, nevertheless, I have this against you left your first love. So here's what he says. Remember and return to the first works. The first works. What are the first works, man? Look at this. He goes on and says, remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Hey, if you've fallen, does that mean you can't get back up again? <laughs> no, I've fallen, I can't get up. No, you can get back up again. 
if you realize you've fallen. He says, remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent. And here's what repent means. It means God is over here at the ocean, and I am walking in the opposite direction of him. And when I hear him say repent, all it simply means is, re- is to turn. It's not something we have to do and then come back to him. It's the very act of coming back to him. It means turn and start heading back to him. And so that's all he says. If today you're seeing that, man, I just don't love him as much as I did. I'm not, mo- I'm not doing this out of love. I'm doing this out of love for me. I'm doing it out of love for this church that I want to see succeed because I was part of it at the beginning. I'm doing it out of this motivation and this motivation. But you see, it's not love. He's now revealed to you that what you need to do is you need to repent. You need to turn back to him and fall back in love with him again. And how'd you fall in love with him the first time? By surrendering everything you knew about yourself to everything you knew about him. Surrendering all your hopes, your dreams, your visions, surrendering everything about your life to him. And then reading in his word as you are praying this love letter. It's his love letter. Hey, Brittany. You back here, right, Brittany? Hey, can you imagine the greatest guy in the world, the most awesome guy in the world writing you love letters every day? The most awesome. I mean, dude, this like makes The Bachelor look like scumbag, which he is, but I'm just joking. But, <clears throat> but literally, uh, yeah, I just cashed my man card in right now. I don't, I don't watch a show. I don't, no, no, no. But can you imagine, can you imagine some guy writing all these love letters to you? And, and what, I see the smile on your face. You're like, oh, that means And you read the love letter. Rose are red, violets are blue. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to go through that. But, but he's writing love letters to you. But can you imagine if you never read the love letters? Would you know how much he loved you? That's the way this book was described to me at one point, is this is full. This is nothing but a love letter from the Savior who loves us more than anyone. And some of it is, hey, learn from these people's mistakes. I love you so much, I don't want you to have to go through that. Some of it is, hey, dude, do this, and it's going to be awesome. This is how you and I can go on dates. This is how you and I can hang out. But you got to read the love letters. And, and it, it's a spiritual book, so we've got to be praying as we're reading it. It's impossible to read the, God of, the word of God without praying and, getting, and get something spiritual out of it. And once we do this and the love of our life speaks to us, what are we going to do? Are we going to keep that in ourselves? No, do you keep that in? Dude, it's going to have to blow out somehow. You're going to be telling people about it. Oh, my goodness, this is what he showed. This is what, this is what it's for me and so on. And so he says, remember, remember where you've fallen. Repent, do the first works. Go back to the first works or else I'm going to come quickly to you and I'm going to to remove your lamp from its place unless you repent. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but I kind of think I found myself in this place before where all of a sudden, dude, I had all the right motions, all the right actions, all the right responses, but really there was no real light shining inside. And it's not until I fell back in love with him again and realized how much he loved me that the light then shines that's in there. So it's all about remember and repent. Turn back to him. Um, But here's the second part of this. So the first part was rules without a relationship equals rebellion. And we're supposed to remember and repent, turn back to him. That's how you start hanging out with him again. You fall back in love. Is he not a lovable person? Is Jesus not lovable? (laughs) Yeah. But look at this next part, relationship without rules equals rebellion too. Real super quick, one verse, it says, but you have that you hate, you have this one thing for you. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. If you were to go study who the Nicolaitans were, they were people who had a relationship with God, but they kind of blew off the rules of the Bible. They had no, the, the first guys in Ephesus had all the rules of the Bible, but no real relationship with God. They were just doing them. These guys, Nicolaitans, they blew off the rules of God's word and said, we don't want to be like them. What we're going to do is we're going to have our own relationship with God. I got my own deal with God right now. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I got my own deal. Me and God got it all worked out. No, you don't. He is almighty God, and he is in charge. These people were sort of like Gnostics, and part of the Gnosticism was was a big cult that was eating Christianity alive at the time when people didn't want to just do the first thing. And what Gnostics did is felt like, oh, Gnosticism means we know something. Oh, I have something revealed to me that you don't. You must not be as enlightened as me. Oh, we we know this, and you, you just don't get it. If it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. That's what Solomon said. 
But yet we want, we get suckered away by just new stuff, new, and it makes us feel good when we think we know something other people don't. And we try to tell them and they don't get it, you know. And I've seen that both on the legalistic and liberal side happen. So these Nicolaitans, basically, what they were about is that, you know, the body, the world, all that's evil, but spiritual's good. So you know what? I can pretty much do whatever I want to do in the body and in this world. I can do whatever I want here as long as I keep my spiritual relationship with God good. They separated the spirit from the world. They, se they separated the spirit from, from the flesh. And yeah, there is a separation in scripture, but we live in the flesh. And so what, in essence, if you study what they did is they basically had their own relationship to God apart from his rules. If you have to blow off and violate God's principles, is it God's will? No. But these folks were like, oh, God didn't really. Nope, here it is. In other words, these guys, they, they, were, not into, they were not into the word, but they were into prayer. Or maybe they were into telling people about Jesus, but they weren't into the word themselves because they had the gospel down pat. They weren't, I don't need church. I've got my own gig with God right here. So we've got this. In other words, they didn't have the whole package. You can have rules without relationship and it's rebellion. But if you have relationship without rules, it's rebellion. Who gets to call the shots in this world? God does. Do you believe that? Do you get to make, do you get to, is God your servant or are you his servant? I'm his servant. And so we see both of these things today in here. And so he said, I have, this, I have this for you. You know, these people who want to violate scripture and call it God, it's not. And you call them out on that, but bottom line is neither one of you are in love with me. Because if you're in love with Christ, what ends up happening is you want to follow his rules. You want to understand how they apply to your life. And you can only understand it through having a living, thriving relationship with him. Yeah. Hey, you guys are married, right? You've been married how long? 59. 59 years? Dude, that is so awesome. <laughs> 59 years. Um, you have a relationship? Yeah. Yeah, pretty good one, right? Are there any rules? Oh, uh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. Did you hear how she said that? Oh, yeah. So are you telling me Jerry can't go out here on the beach and find, I know you would probably die laughing if he tried, right? But yeah. he can't go out and pick up girls out on the beach and have dates with them? What would happen to him? He would be, he would die. <laughs> but it wouldn't be a loving relationship if there were no rules of commitment towards each other. Only so, so God wants to restore our relationship with him, but it's on his term, not ours. Our commitment is we agree to the rules he set in place. And we say, yes, I want to surrender myself because you know everything. You can do anything. You're everywhere. I want to follow you. And so by having a relationship with no rules, blowing off his rules, that's as bad as having rules with no relationship, and neither one is good in this. So Jesus wants to restore a relationship to him, and look at what he says is get the benefit of this, and I promise I'm almost done. He says, who, he who has an ear, hey, does anybody here have an ear? Let me see your ear. You got an ear? Okay, so he's talking to you, okay. All right, Milt, you got an ear? All right, yeah, he's talking to you. If you have an ear, so this is not just to the church in Ephesus, it's to everyone. If you have an ear, let him hear what, who says? That's him. His Holy Spirit wants to speak to us through his word. His spirit's never going to violate his word. That's how he's chosen to reveal himself to us in this day. You throw out the word of God, you're going to lose your love for him eventually. Because you're going to end up with, with a relationship without his rules, and that's not going to fly. So he has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. What do they need to overcome here? What's their problem? They lost their what? They lost their first love. So what that means to be an overcomer here is that you fall back in love with Jesus. He says, you fall back in love with me. Here's what we get restored back to. You can keep having your rules and no relationship, and if that satisfies you here, whatever. You can keep having your relationship with no rules and keep calling it me. He said, but really, look what's going to happen when now you put my rules in a relationship with me. He says, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life. Where's the tree of life found? Where was it? Yeah, do you remember? What did they eat off of when they were in the garden? The, the tree of knowledge of... Good and evil. And God said, oh, you screwed up because you guys aren't capable of like handling both good and evil. I just want you to handle good. 
Now you're going to mess the world up making decisions that you aren't qualified to make. And have we messed the world up? Have you messed your own life up? Yes. <laughs> because of that. And so what he did, he put, a, he put a, a, an angel with a flaming sword in front of what tree? The tree of eternal life. Hey, can you imagine living eternity in these bodies? Dude, this is what 56, 55. How old am I? Am I 56? Yeah, well, something like that. This is what 50 some years looks like right here. And it doesn't get any better. How many of y'all would testify that your body is like hotter than it's ever been? <laughs> Except Gary, all right? But I'm just saying, dude, can you imagine 50,000 years? Can you imagine eternity? Aren't you glad God put the angel in front of that tree? But what he says, man, is he says, if you overcome, I'm going to give you some fruit from that tree. I'm going to give you eternal life to experience right here on this planet, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And this word paradise referred to the garden, but it became to really refer to nothing more than being in God's presence. Just being in God's presence. So if you fall back in love with him, what's going to happen? You're going to end up back in his presence. If you're in love with you, a religious system, a pastor, a church, a teacher, an occupation, a hobby. If you're in love with all of these other things, man... They're not going to put you in his presence. It's only falling back in love with him by taking his rules and his relationship that you're going to be able to bring those things together and you're going to be in his presence. That's what the benefit is. So it has to be on his terms. Let me read you this because this is what really, this is really what blew me away. If, you woke, if somebody's sleeping next to you, wake them up just real quick, all right? All right, so check... I'm just doing this on purpose because Terry's downstairs and he's the one who gave me the clock. So. <laughs> All right, so, but listen to this. There's a guy, a Calvary Chapel guy named David Gusick. Anybody familiar with David Gusick? Writes phenomenal commentaries. They're almost free. He's very doctrinally solid, which most Calvary Chapel guys are. And, and when I read this, this broke my heart because it's so true for today. And, 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 and again, I don't want to break your heart. What I wanted to do is I wanted to bring you back to fall in love with him. Look what he says and tell me if this is not true of you and me. He said, this means, uh, do the first works. This means that they, the Ephesians, must go back to the basics, to the very first things they did when they fell in love with Jesus. The thing, uh, these are the things we never grow beyond. But see, what, and I, there's a couple more slides here, but here's what happens. When, when I first fell in love with Jesus, what did I have? <laughs> Dude, I had my little, my little Bible with the Pope in it, man, and the extra books. I had, I, had, I had nothing. I knew nothing. And so every word I hung on, every communication from I hung on, every prayer I hung on, everything I hung on, I realized it was all coming from him and for him. And, and I was in love with him because I had nothing else. And he says, man, these are the things that we never grow beyond. Um, he says, remember how you used to spend time in his word? Let me ask you a question. Do you remember how you used to spend time in his word? Has there been a time where you spent more time in his word, not out of duty, but because you couldn't put it down? Yes, but I'm in a different phase. It's busy. That's one of the first things that's going to take you out of this loving relationship. He says, remember when you used to spend time in his word? Remember how you used to pray? Dude, when I was first a believer, anybody on the street said, oh, dude, my dog's sick. Let's pray for your dog right here. You know, it's like, hey, my car's broke. Let's pray to God. You know, it's like prayer was the first solution. And then, and I'm not saying I don't pray right now. We pray. But do you remember when that was the first thing you thought of? And maybe you still think that way. But God forbid that you only pray and you don't read his word. These all four, all these things go together to bring the package together that cause us to fall in love with him. Remember when you used to spend time in his word? Remember when you used to pray? Remember the joy of getting together with other Christians. Remember what it was like to get out of work where there were other people that didn't believe in him and out of the world and off of TV and whatever and get to people that would be like a breath of fresh air that, oh, we all believe the same thing. Man, you remember what I was like? Remember how excited you were telling others about Jesus. I was reminiscing, my older sister, Catholic sister. I remember when I found the gospel and I could share it, I shared it with her. And she's like, I already know Jesus. I already know Jesus. She, she was my Catholic sister. And I'm like, you don't know Jesus. Because <laughs> she didn't know Protestant Jesus. <laughs> I'm just saying, that's how I felt. I was wrong, dead wrong. And I know my sister loves and knows Jesus. 
But I didn't care. I wanted to make sure everybody knew the real Jesus and not just some religious Jesus. And I remember we made up for this then. But he says, man, remember how excited you were about telling others? Now how scared are you to tell others about him? I don't know. And so he goes on and look at this. This is what broke my heart. And this is so true because most of the people I get to disciple in my life, in my life, for the last 30 years now, are people that uh, have had no relationship with Christ. You guys are different. <laughs> you guys are coming from church and stuff, but most of the people I get to have gotten disciple have had no relationship with him. And we start off by getting in the word of God, by praying and let God reveal the word. We start off by, by being together as believers and encouraging each other and teaching each other and, and then um, telling others about Christ. We start off with those basic things, but here's what happens. It says, we might say that Satan does a masterful job in creating a sense of general dissatisfaction with these first works. Christians will run after almost every new strange method or program for growth and stability. Boy, how many of y'all have been believers for a while and you've seen this? You think that Christians are calling Christianity that, man, I'm telling you again, if it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. Dude, don't you think the disciples had what they were going to have? <laughs> don't you think Jesus and in that apostolic, don't you think that, that everything was revealed to them? Don't you think John knew everything there was? You're coming up with something centuries later that nobody's ever seen? You better be careful with that stuff. Because I don't think it's God. But Christians, man, will run after almost every new strange method or program for growth and stability. <gasps> Here's a new thing for me. By the way, who's all that about? That's for me. You start making your theology about you instead of him, you're in big trouble. Because now you're in love with you and not him. Look at this last one. Our shortened attention spans make us easily bored with the truest excitement. Something we will do almost anything except the first works. You know what, man? I'm going to tell you the greatest times in my life are when I'm back to this. It's when I'm back to this, when I'm in love with Jesus. And I'm going to tell you what, dude, that's where I'm at right now. If everything caved in all around me, I don't care because I'm in love with him. And his love for me is perfect. If you don't have a relationship with him, man, here's how you can have one. If he gives you the desire for one. You have to realize you're a sinner. That you can't pay for your own sin. That you're dirty. And there's nothing that you can do to clean your sins up that will be justified to him. But he came and lived a perfect life as God and man. Never once sinned. He died the death of a sinner, paid the price for a sinner. And he said, if you will surrender yourself to me, what I did on the cross will cover you. And how long will it cover you for? Forever. You can't ever lose it. can't ever be taken off. He said, I'll cover you forever. That's how you begin that relationship, by surrendering yourself to him. But there's times in our saved life where we have to re-surrender again. So that's what God wants us to hear today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? We don't generally do this, but, man, I just got to ask, how many of you would say that you are madly in love with Jesus? I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to, you know, nobody please look around. But if you're madly in love with Jesus, man, amen. Raise your hand up, man. Tell him, say, I'm madly in love with you. And I know I can be more in love with you, but I'm madly in love with you. That's awesome. How many of y'all maybe have been, it's been revealed that maybe you're madly in love with some other things? More than him. All right, cool. Cool. That's why you're here. I'm telling you guys, it starts with reading the love letter, the word. You don't have to understand it. It's food. He'll put it out in front of you. You read it, and he'll show you what he wants you to see out of it. Now, how many of y'all would make a commitment, not to me, but to him, to be in his word every day, just to get to know him and just understand that love? Everybody I know that makes that commitment to being in his word, man, they get revival. You don't have to be a seminary student to understand it. He, the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside, he wrote it. He will show it to you. How many of y'all would make that commitment? 
again, I'm not getting paid for how many hands get raised, but how many, raise your hand if you'll make that commitment to just digging in his word every day to see what your marching orders are from him. Amen. And as you're in that word, how many make a commitment that you'll pray and ask him, say, God, show me what you want me to see in this word. Show me what you want me to do with it. Show me how to apply it to my life, man, and, 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 and read while you pray. How many of you need to be around believers who are hypocrites just like you, but <laughs> how many of y'all need to be around believers more? Because you are like the ones you hang out with. Amen. There's opportunities for that. And then how about, how many of you believe God's sharing with you that you really need to share this love with others? But you're scared. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, man, as you walk with him, he's going to do things so supernatural in your life that only he can get blamed and you're not going to be able to keep your mouth shut. Father, I pray that you would renew all of our love, all of us, with a new, fresh love for you. And um, I just pray for these things in Jesus' name.